Did you know that about 1 million babies worldwide die each year within 24 hours of birth? What if you knew from the time you were about five months pregnant that your baby would be one of those children? I'm Sharon Betters, the co-host of the Help and Hope podcast. And in this conversation, I have the privilege of talking to Diane Bonsbach about what it was like for her to learn that her much wanted baby girl, Amy, might not survive birth, let alone live outside her mother's womb. I have to admit that Diane and I share a few tears as she steps back into that season of loss and grief, but she tells Amy's story in a way that offers hope and counsel to those facing a similar tragedy. I am so grateful for Diane's willingness to share her story as a means of offering the help and hope that she experienced in this broken place in her life. Diane, welcome. Hi, Sharon. Thank you for having me today. We have so much that I want to talk about with you. But before we jump in, I'd like for you to just share with us a little bit about yourself and your life. So probably the most notable thing about me is that I've been a mathematics teacher for nearly 33 years now. I definitely feel called to teach mathematics. I am passionate about helping students build confidence and understand math. And in fact, I just earned my doctorate from the University of Delaware in educational leaderships with a mathematics concentration. One other thing that is related to this is I'm very, very blessed to be the faculty mentor for the men's soccer team at Wilmington University. So that's another way I can invest in students' lives. In addition, I am the mother of two adult children, two wonderful children. Christina is 26, and she is an occupational therapist, and Jimmy is 23, and he is a data analyst. They both still live at home. I, I largely thank COVID for that, but it is, it's a blessing to have them home right now. And I've been married to my husband, Jim. Um, this year will make 30 years that we have been married. And just some things that I love to do. I love gardening. Jim and I love hiking and um, kayaking together. And my favorite place in the world is the beach. Mm -hmm. I don't care what beach, just put me on a beach. <laughs> I appreciate you, uh, the beach. I love the beach too. And um, as a math teacher, there are so many students that I know of that took math from you in high school. And they, they would say there's nobody like Mrs. Bonsbach. She's an incredible teacher. So I'm glad to know that God continues to open that wide door for you to be touching the lives of students in so many ways. And I know just like we're talking about this team that you're mentoring and the circle of influence is so wide. So thank you so much. Well, one of the ways that I know God is going to bless others through you is through your story of your daughter, Amy. And so I'd like to step back a number of years to when your two children were younger and you were expecting a, a daughter, a little baby, and then something happened that turned your world totally upside down. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So at the time, Chrissy was six and Jimmy was three. Jimmy was a pretty typical little boy, three-year-old, very, very busy. And so it was two days before Mother's Day. So we all knew that we were expecting a baby. Like the children knew, Jim and I knew, 
my parents came down to watch Jimmy and Chrissy and Jim and I went to my appointment with my obstetrician. And Chrissy was very interested in seeing whether she was going to have another little brother or she was really hoping for a little sister. That's what she wanted. And then after the appointment, Chrissy and I were going to go buy baby clothes for whoever, whichever sibling she was going to have. So the three of us were in the room and the doctor was totally fine with Chrissy being there. There was no reason to think that there would be some reason not to have a six-year-old in the room. And so he started, um, you know, putting the jelly on my stomach and, you know, and I was visibly pregnant and he had the monitor going in and he had the screen situated so that all three of us could see it. And we were kind of looking at each other while the doctor was, you know, figuring things out. An image was starting to come up, you know, and we were very expectant looking for this. And all of a sudden he turns the screen around and Jim and I look at each other like, Clearly, that's not a good sign. You know, we don't know what it is, but something's happening. And so he says very slowly, the doctor says, it appears that your daughter has anencephaly. Well, I don't know what that is. And that was our next, okay, what's that? And how do we fix it? And he said, your daughter doesn't have a brain. She has a brain stem, which is allowing her to live inside of you right now, that in the placenta, but she doesn't have a cerebrum or a cerebellum. I just said, okay, well, what do we do? I mean, do we have a surgery? Do we take medication? Like, how do you make that happen? I mean, I know this, this is actually a neural tube defect and believe it or not, That very week, Jim and I had watched a documentary on neural tube defects, but the other side of the neural tube, if it's not closed, is called spina bifida. And there are things that can be done. So when he said it was a neural tube defect, I'm like, okay, well, you do whatever you do for spina bifida, right? And he said, no, there is nothing that can be done. Your baby won't live. So, you know, that kind of ended that that appointment. Chrissy was quiet the entire time. I am barely holding it together. And Chrissy and I drove separately from Jim because Jim came over at work. He was at work and I came down from, from our house. So I, I had to drive back. And um, our, our next thing that the doctor wanted us to do was to see a perinatologist to confirm that this was indeed the case and what his recommendation would be uh, for for next steps going forward. Chrissy never once asked a question, made a comment, nothing. She just went back in her car seat and Jim asked if I was okay to drive. And I said, yes, although probably I should have said no, but I said, yes, because I just wanted to get home and I wanted my two kids with me. That's what I wanted. So we then had to, to make some decisions. But from that day, our entire world was rocked. Um, I know that um, Amy had trisomy 18, correct? Yes. And what does that mean for a child? I mean, I know that her condition was far worse because she had no brain. So, but how are those two connected? So we did make an appointment to see a perinatologist and just Jim and I went to that 
appointment, we consented to having an amniocentesis performed. Um, the doctor did confirm that she was anencephalic. It was obvious that there was no, no brain there and the skull would just form over what was there. So she would never have that nice formed head. If you picture what an ultrasound for a baby should look like, she didn't have that. Hers stopped right here, um, which was true when she was born as well. But what the amniocentesis was for was to see if there was any kind of genetic abnormalities. And the things that, that blew my mind, like one in a thousand children that we know of have anencephaly. And then most of them, 90% of them, are either aborted or will die before birth. I mean, it's a very large percentage. So with the amniocentesis, we found out that not only did she have uh, anencephaly, but she also had trisomy 18. And the partner to trisomy 18 that many people are familiar with is trisomy 21. Trisomy 21, you have an extra chromosome at the 21st level, and that child is then said to have Down syndrome. Whereas trisomy 18, at the 18th chromosome, there is an extra chromosome that's called Edwards syndrome. So Amy was anencephalic and she had Edwards syndrome. And a child, at least at the time, so in 2002, when Amy was conceived, um, what was known about Edwards syndrome was that children likely had a cleft palate, they had club feet, um, they could have webbed fingers or toes, they could have heart defects. Amy had all of them except a cleft palate. Her face was not marred at all, which made it so much nicer for the family. That in itself was not a death sentence, but she would have been a special needs child her entire life and may have lived to be an adult, but not likely. So she had both of these things going. They didn't relate to each other. One is one in a thousand chance. The other one was one in 5,000 chance, at least according to the literature at that time. And she got both of them. The only silver lining that I can say was that because these things weren't inherently passed down genetically, Chrissy and Jimmy didn't have to worry about this for their children. It was just what, what her situation was. Yes. Yeah. As you, this news, I, I can't even imagine the impact it had on you, your family in every single way. But I think especially for a mother who can feel the baby moving and she's connected to her baby. What was the one thing that you were hoping for Amy? You knew that she was not going to survive, but what, what was the one thing you were hoping for yourself and your family uh, and for Amy? So... Once she was diagnosed, we knew for sure what the situation was. The perinatologist wanted us to abort her and our obstetrician would not perform an abortion. And we chose, I chose to keep her. Jim made it, allowed it to be my decision only. And so our obstetrician did say he would be willing to be my obstetrician for as long as she would live. So I didn't have to worry about that. I mean, definitely a, a godly man with his, his belief system. Now he was preparing the hospital staff, which was in Chestertown, Maryland. At the time they had obstetrics there. Now they don't, but the whole staff apparently was expecting me to come in with a miscarriage in July. 
and she was due in September, late September. Um, I didn't know that till afterwards, but they had a specific nurse who I could call anytime I wanted to, to say, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about that, whatever. And so she had told me later, they were expecting me to come in in July. My doctor said she likely would not live to the birth. Like I was going to lose her earlier than that. She would die in utero. So my hope was that she would live because I wanted to deliver her and I wanted her family there and I wanted them to have some kind of connection with her that I already had because a mother has a very unique connection with a baby because you do feel them and everyone else does not. They see that you're getting bigger. They know the concept, but not, mm, not too sure, you know, that they have a relationship with them. So that was my, of course, I wanted God to heal her, but my biggest hope was she needs to be born alive. And that's what I prayed for. And, and what happened? So, oh, there's so many other things <laughs> with her story, but she was born alive mm-hmm. to cut to the chase. Um, in fact, I had to be induced because one thing I didn't realize, not only did she have trisomy 18, but that means the placenta and the umbilical cord are not as strong as a normal baby's would be. And so if she were to go beyond nine months, then likely they wouldn't support her and she would still die in utero. So once she became full term, um, September 23rd, I went into the hospital and they started to induce me. I went home that night. And then the next day is when labor actually happened, which was interesting and a sign of God's provision because she was breech. And I didn't want any parts of a breech birth. Um, So I kept praying, Lord, turn this baby around. But, and he did not, he did not turn her around. But that is one of those things. Sometimes we pray and we do not know what we're asking for. We think because we're in a certain box and we have a certain paradigm that this is the way it has to be. You don't deliver a baby breech. What is that? That's nonsense. But because Amy was anencephalic, she had a little hole like the size of a quarter on the size of her tiny little, on the top of her tiny little head. And had she been born head first, that hole would have ruptured and no one would have been able to see her. It would have been way far too gory for anyone to look at her. So that was God's providence. She was three pounds, 13 ounces, and she was born breech. And quite frankly, she was my easiest delivery. So that just God's providence. It's amazing. That is amazing that you didn't know how to pray, really. The Holy Spirit took over for you. Oh, for sure. Yes, yes. And did you get your wish for Amy and your family? Yes. So since everyone knew Diane's being induced on the 23rd, and then I just kept everybody up to date, you know, things are coming along, but I'm coming home and I'll go back in on the 24th. I had not only Jim and Chrissy and Jimmy there, my mom and dad were there, Jim's parents were there, my Aunt Kay, who has she's with the Lord now, but she had the softest heart for children ever. She and her husband were there. My sister, who at the time was still praying for a child, Mm -hmm. um, which is her own story. 
Um, she was there. Um, and then a very dear friend who was an obstetrics nurse, Beth Cipriano, was also there. She was also someone the Lord gave to me who just listened and listened and listened the entire time. And she watched my children so that if I needed to get away from them for a little bit, if I needed a nap, whatever, Beth would take them to her house and they would go swimming. So um, a gift, huge gift. gift. Yeah. So she was there as well. So you received that gift of time with Amy and the rest of the family was able to see her as this is your child. Before she was born, you wanted her to be baptized in utero. Why was that important to you? Because for the same reason I wanted my family to establish a relationship with her, by seeing her, by holding her. I mean, clearly I couldn't have the whole church, you know, standing in line, you know, like that's obviously not going to happen. But how in a church, particularly our church, do we recognize a child as a covenant child, but through our baptism? That is when the entire congregation says, whoever the members are, we covenant with you that we will support your family and we will help raise this child, you know, however long you have them. And I needed the church to one, know that my family was broken and going through this. And two, to recognize they did have another covenant child because it didn't matter that she was seven months gestation. She's still part of the covenant family. And so that that was absolutely huge to me to be able to have her baptized and the entire church witness that and acknowledge who she was as a child of God. I remember I can see it right now. I can see you. I can see your family. It, it was an incredible moment for all of us. And um, I thank you so much for sharing that with us. There was so many levels of, of teaching in that moment. Um, and you've touched on a number of them. But I think, you know, it's just saying this child, God created this child, this child has purpose. And, you know, Diane, you have no idea how God used that moment to to touch other hearts um, for uh, reasons that may have nothing to do, may not even sound like your story. But there were other reasons why God was um, painting for us that incredible picture of church life. It was, it was just incredible. Uh, and I do have it in my head. I can still see you standing there with your family. and hands on, on your tummy. And mm-hmm. it was amazing. And I'm so glad that you did that, that God led you to do that. You're uh, 20 years out, but I'm just imagining, I mean, I've lost a son. He was um, 16 years old. It's a dark, broken place. And I wonder, did you struggle with depression? Um, if you did, how did, how did you did, what impact did Amy's journey have on your faith? I mean, to be honest, I, I struggled during her pregnancy. I struggled after her death. Before she was born, my emotions would skyrocket so that I knew that I was cared for. I felt the peace of the Lord and okay, I submit to you and, and whatever whatever it is you want me to do. And then there were other times I would be in mourning and How utterly unfair, how unfair, how can you, as a sovereign God, create a child who is destined to die immediately? What was the point? Why even create her at all? It just seems so warped, so wrong. 
It was very, very hard during that pregnancy because I had a friend who was pregnant at the same time, same about age that I I was. Her baby was a third child, also, also not expected. And her baby was due in October. So literally two weeks after Amy was due, her, her child was due. And I t- say this because part of God's consoling me came through a variety of places. And one of those places was her because when I saw her ultrasound, I was at her house and I saw her ultrasound on her refrigerator and not in any way did she put it in my face. Look, look at the baby. She didn't do that. But where would you put your ultrasound? Of course, you would put it on the refrigerator like any mother would. But I had to take my kids and leave. I couldn't even have it there. And she was just understanding She helped me plan Jimmy's birthday party, which was in July. Like she was a support system and prayed just huge so that when I was in valleys, she was there. The other place that was comforting to me seems unlikely. I mean, I already told you about some of the other friends and what have you support systems that I had. But my son was home with me most of the time. Chrissy was older. And so she had a couple other things that she could do, different activities that you would have six-year-olds go to. But Jimmy as a three-year-old did not. And there was a time when I was just laying on the floor in fetal position, crying, just crying. And he was laying beside me and he was sucking his thumb. He was a big, big thumb sucker. Mm -hmm. And he was rubbing my back. And so he was just such a companion to me. And he loved this movie called The Iron Giant. And it's a cartoon and this metal giant comes down from, you know, the sky and the little boy has to kind of teach the giant the ways of the earth. And so when the giant tries to figure out what death is and he sees a deer shot by a hunter, the little boy says to him, don't worry, souls don't die. And so there I am laying in fetal position on the floor and I am just consumed with grief and Jimmy's scratching my back. And he said, mommy, and I'm like, yes, because don't be sad. Souls don't die. At three years old. At three years old. He says that to me. So all of this to say there were so many different ways that even though the road was not something I wanted and I would never wish on anyone, it was hard. It's hard now to talk about it. I do see the hand of God. And how he provided in so many different ways. Yeah. We call those uh, the treasures in darkness. Back to, it's in Isaiah 45. It's become my go-to verse. It was first when I was struggling with breast cancer, but then through the death of our son, where he says, I will go before you and I will level the mountains and I will send you treasures in the darkness, riches stored in secret places so that you will know I am the Lord, your God, the one who calls you by name. And I love that passage because, you know, it's kind of like when I had breast cancer, of course, I wished that I didn't have breast cancer and I wanted to know that I was going to survive and all of that, but that that's not what I heard in this verse. It was, I'm going to send you treasures in the darkness, riches stored in secret places, which means to me, these are things that you never experience if you were in the light. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason is so that uh, I am turning your heart toward me. I am your sovereign God, holy other, and I call you by name right here with us, very personal. 
And I know that if we could talk for hours, I know that you would have so many of those moments that like this little one with Jimmy, no, they may seem insignificant to other people, but they, we know this was just what God sent to me today as a love note to remind me that run to him, you know, be on his lap, even if it means I'm going to be hitting on his chest. And that was something else too, Diane, and you kind of painted a beautiful picture of it is lamenting. It's that, I don't know how, to exp- I mean, nobody, none of us knows exactly how to explain it. But like you said, one minute you're flying high and you feel confident of the Lord's presence, but then the next you're in a, a pit. And I just want to reassure any of you who are listening that maybe you're struggling with, you know, uh, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be questioning. I, I should be just filled with all the joy of the Lord and all of that. And I want to tell you that God is not afraid of your questions. He can handle it. He invites them. He encourages you to run to him. And all through scripture, we see people who are lamenting. And lamenting is, to me, it is a sign of great strength because you're running toward that one who you know is sovereign overall, but you're not running away. You're running toward him. And it could be with fists clenched and beating on his chest and all of that. And yet that is such a, you have to, you have to lean into the pain of those dark, dark times. And it takes a while. You know, I think it takes, it takes a long time for some of us to find that balance, but we keep running back, running back to him. Would you say, Diane, that you have a different perspective on faith, that your faith is deeper because of Amy? Yeah, because... It required that I grapple with faith. And it's interesting when you bring up the verse about he will bring us treasures in darkness. The verse does not say you will not experience darkness. Jesus promised that we are going to have difficulties in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so after Amy passed away, the funeral was not the hard part. That was not, that was a celebration of, this is the only time I ever get to show you my pictures of my baby. So everybody come and and it was hard, but not as hard as the days that followed. And the thing that I really struggled with was Amy did not in any way, shape or form have the ability to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. She could not like, and had she been born, she probably still could not because she was a special needs child had she lived. And all I could think was, if you send her to hell, you better send me to hell too, because I don't want to be in heaven with you. I want to be in hell with her, because what kind of God sends a child to hell? And I struggled. I could, oh, I could barely go to church, barely. I didn't want to sing worship songs. I just, oh, the whole thing was so hard. And then but I think it was Pastor Betters that was um, Pastor Betters, your husband. There are plenty of Pastor Betters around, but um, Pastor Betters, your husband was preaching on David. And I had my own little camp out in David's story. Mm-hmm. And we knew that Absalom, David's son, was trying to kill him. And Absalom ends up dying. And David, uh, you know, mourned his son. He was his terrible mourning. But then he had the whole issue with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba has the baby and the baby dies. And the whole time while the baby was still living, David mourned sackcloth, 
you know, wailing before the Lord, please spare this baby. And so when the baby dies, the servants are like, oh my goodness, I'm not telling David. Can you imagine he's going to go off the handle? Like, we, I'm not telling him. So David figures out, you know, is, is the baby dead? Yes. And he goes, okay. And he gets up and he moves along. He's like, he will not return to me, but I will go to him. And that alone made me realize his baby could also not choose to worship Yahweh. But he knew that the baby was with the Lord and that he would go to be with that baby one day. And I then realized that was Amy's situation as well. Like that is where she was and I would go to see her one day. But I think what's important is to realize that was not like she was born September 24th. I grappled with this for about a week and a half. And then we went back to life as normal. This was like many, many months, many, many months. I mean, going on almost an entire year that I yelled at God. I was angry at God. Um, I struggled. I was jealous. Oh, I was so jealous because by this point, my friend's baby had been born healthy, of course. Um, And I think it's so important for people to realize, number one, God doesn't spare us from the hard places. Number two, the hard places are so necessary because I would not have the faith I have now had I had a third child healthy. I would not. It just, it wouldn't be the same faith. And three, God, even though he is sovereign, perfect, and holy, and is certainly capable of striking me dead at any moment he wants, he's compassionate and loving. And it's okay to say, I don't understand this. I'm struggling because he's still going to be there. He's still going to hold you. Even when you're beating on his chest, he's still going to love you because you are his child. And that that didn't become clear to me until I went through this. Well, Diane, I was going to ask you to speak one-on-one as we wrap up, but I think you just did. You spoke to that um, mother who is in agony right now. And I think you have given her incredible hope. The journey is hard and it's long, but there is light. And with all of your transparency, before the Lord, he didn't strike you dead. He just kept holding his arms out to you and sending you those treasures to turn your heart toward him. And I think you brokenhearted mother that you are experiencing this, you might be stuck in this deep rut right now where you just don't know how you can move forward. And you're listening to Diane and thinking, I I don't think I ever have the hope of being in that place. But I hope that you are really listening hard to the story that Diane is sharing about her her precious child and how her child had a mission. And that mission was in part to help turn her mother's heart toward the Lord in a way that she had never experienced before. And that's, that's an eternal impact when our lives are changed by another person. So I want to encourage you as we wrap up our time, I've been speaking with Diane Bonsbach about her precious daughter, Amy, and the journey, and really Amy's impact on Diane's life and now on your life. It's very possible that God has prepared this message just for you. And I'm praying that you will allow him to use it to touch your heart in a way that 
you maybe have not thought possible. I also encourage you to reach out to us if there is a way that we can be praying for you. Also, I have a book called Treasures in Darkness, Riches Stored in Secret Places, where I share my journey about grieving for the loss of our son, Mark. And there are so many similarities between Diane's story and our story. And so you can get that book anywhere, uh, Treasures in Darkness, Riches Stored in Secret Places. I'm Sharon Batters. You have been listening to the Help and Hope podcast. I am just so moved by Amy's story, and I pray that you will share it with your friends. Uh, Share it widely. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to this Help and Hope podcast produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Visit markinc.org, M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org to find additional free resources on a variety of topics. Online counseling services are also available through Anchored Hope Biblical Counseling by visiting helpandhopenow.org. That's helpandhopenow.org. Download the Help and Hope app on your mobile device. Hope is just one click away.